0: That's heritageradionetwork dot slash fifteen to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March thirty first. Thank you.
1: Good afternoon. This is the Heritage Radio Network's Farm Report. You're here with Heather Hyman. Um, we are happy to thank Hearst Ranch for making today's broadcast possible. I am very excited to have two wonderful people in house with me this Friday for our Farm Report. We've um, interviewed Alec Bradford. He was one of the first farmers we had on our farm report. He um, called in from Virginia to tell us a little bit about the ancient White Park cattle breed and a little bit about the black hog and his farm and production. And he is here today with his daughter, Sophie, who also lends a great helping hand on the farm. And uh, we're going to get into our conversation today by just recapping a bit about the farm and the breeds that Alec works with and move on from there. Hi, Alec. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. And Sophie, how are you today? I'm great, thanks. Well, thanks for uh, coming into the studio. So, Alec, just remind our listeners a little bit about your farm and what you do on your farm.
2: Uh, We have about a 400-acre operation in southwest Virginia, about 10 miles from Blacksburg. It's a little town of Allegheny Spring. Uh, We started about five years ago. We bought one herd of ancient white park cows. Uh, We've expanded where we now have both lines of the cows. We bought a, um, one set from Iowa and one set from Montana. And we keep them separated. And we keep the two different, separate lines uh, so we can cross bulls and raise bulls and hopefully improve the herd on this side of the country. There's only about 400 of these animals in the states right now that are registered. We're hmm. trying to get the number up to about 1,000. So.
1: And when you say registered, what exactly does that mean for our listeners?
2: <clears throat> well, we send, um, in order to... Keep the bloodlines as vibrant as possible we have to take uh, DNA samples and we send them off to a, a lab in in uh, Alberta Canada <clears throat> and uh, by keeping a record of of uh, the DNA we can try to get the breed to because there's so few breeding animals there's a risk of inbreeding them so if we if we have their DNA we can separate and identify the strongest traits of each breed, of each herd, and uh, try to perpetuate those.
1: So, and would that then happen through selective breeding after the fact?
2: Yeah, we select the bulls that's farthest away from the cows that they're being bred to. So sometimes that means importing semen from Great Britain. Normally that means we just <clears throat> check the DNA of the bull and, and the and the cows that she's bred. And as long as they have, you know, less than 5% of the same uh, markers on their DNA, then then that means they're good for breeding.
1: So cows are all females, is that correct?
2: That's right. When I refer to a cow, I mean a female breeding it's animal. It's
1: funny, too, because, I mean, we see so many cows and uh, maybe not as many bulls. So all those cows out there that are milking and that are made for burgers and steaks, are they all coming from the, the females?
2: Uh, no. The, the, the ones that go for meat, at least on my farm, are we raise, we raise up uh, males that aren't going to be uh, breeding. You can usually put one bull for every 40 females. At least with my breed, and um and so all the other males that are born, we castrate them, raise them up on grass, and then take them to the slaughterhouse when they're around 24 to 30 months of age, mm-hmm. and then that's what ends up on your dinner table. If you're eating from a you know a local farmer who's actually raising the animals, if you send them off, <clears throat> if you're eating feedlot meat that you buy at the Kroger at your local grocery, odds are that it you know it could be a female cow, it could be a 14 year old animal you never really know what those and
1: that's not a good thing
2: that's not a good thing for the consumer or for the industry as a whole I don't think Um, it certainly you can't really tell where your beef is from and you can't really tell what the shape of the animal was in before it was slaughtered and uh, we're a certified humane farm for us it's very important to know exactly what condition the animal was in and um, I, I wouldn't feed my children anything but meat that I knew exactly where it was
1: And you mentioned um, your child, so she's sitting right next to you. Um, Do Mm -hmm. you guys work? Do you have partnering farms near you? Are you in an area that's very farm-based where you're able to kind of, like, do some trading and things of the sort with uh, your neighbors so that you are always knowing where the food comes from for your family?
2: Yeah, we raise most of our food. We have uh, large black hogs. We have a two-acre garden. We run a CSA. We uh, eat all the meat off the farm. We raise chickens for ourselves. Um,
1: Oh, so you get (coughs) eggs as well? Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Sophie's job is to yeah, pick the eggs. Yeah, collect
1: egg. the eggs. You collect the eggs. How often does that happen? Every day. Every day. What time? <clears throat> um, about 4 o'clock. In the morning? No, 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 no. no. Oh. <laughs> in, the, in the afternoon. <laughs> we, don't, okay. we don't make Sophie get up at 4 o'clock. <laughs> All right. She's just, got enough
2: on our plate as it is.
1: Yep. You're in school right now, Sophie? Yes. Uh, how old are you? I'm 12. 12. So you're moving on up into uh, what grade? Is that 7th grade? 7th, 7th yes. grade? Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Great, um, so then you're doing a CSA. You're you're providing for local farmers markets, and yep. then you're up here in New York this week. So that means you are really trying to expand the marketing arm of your farm. Huh? Well,
2: that's the only way to really save the breed is to uh, get as many people eating it as possible. Which is kind of counterintuitive. You'd <laughs> think that a, you know a, an animal that has that's critically rare that the only way to save it would be to
1: <laughs> not kidding. eat any of them,
2: but uh, but it, unless you get people liking the meat and knowing you know what breed they're eating and, and demanding that breed, the breed will surely die out if if you don't create a market for it. And New York, of course, is the largest market in the country, and you know a great place, lots of good food, people, and and they uh, <clears throat> they really seem to care. At least the ones that I've been dealing with.
1: Yeah. You yeah. want to give us some examples. I mean, you're I don't know how long you've been in New York th- or if it's just been this week, but it seems like you're you're definitely the farmer and the marketer. So, what are some of these experiences you've had actually being able to like aside from your local farmers market come up to a, a city like New York or a place like Brooklyn and meet these people who are, you know, spreading the good word about the breed and uh, your farm?
2: Yeah. No, there's uh there's a, a lot of foodies like I said and and they seem to uh, actually that's after a friend, my um, my wife does at least half the marketing. I have to give her credit for that or she'll she'll get on me when I get home. Uh oh. Um, what's her name? <clears> this <throat> Sarah.
1: We'll give Sarah a shout out. Yeah. Sarah yeah. Bradford. Out. Thanks for all your help. <laughs> Sorry you're not here this uh today, this Friday in Brooklyn.
2: Yeah, we miss you terribly. <laughs> uh, no, we got up early on Sunday morning, drove here, left the house at like three thirty in the morning, and drove straight to New York with a with a whole steer on the back of the truck. And wow. um in, you know, in, in refrigerated coolers, and
1: so the steer was already uh, was already butchered up, into butchered its parts. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just just clarifying no, for people, it's, it's, they can only imagine coming in, from Virginia with a, a big steer in the back. Right, right,
2: right. uh, no, that that would be very difficult, I think. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Um, no, we had it all. It was all cut up and in freezers, uh, and um, got to Brooklyn and unloaded a whole steer with uh, you know some pretty pretty. I guess, uh, excited people. They, uh, they didn't have the opportunity to get this meat anywhere else. And um, they each got about 40 pounds, 40 pounds of meat. We split it up 10 ways. Nice. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's its one way to market. It's like a CSA of meat.
1: No, uh, I was just going to say, it sounds very similar to that. And is everyone getting the same cuts from those 40 pounds, or does it vary?
2: Well, essentially. But you don't get, of course, 10 hanger steaks or, or you know, 10 flat irons or whatever. Um, so... If somebody, you know, for, pre- for instance, got a brisket, then he wouldn't get a hanger or whatever. But they all got, you know, a variety of cuts. Some people wanted the tongue and the offal and all that sort of stuff. So,
1: so you're even dealing with special requests.
2: Yeah, yeah, you can have the whole head if you want it. Um, hmm. uh, people will take the hides, dog food, bones, marrow bones. I mean, it's uh, a, <clears throat> it's pretty interesting. You couldn't have possibly done this ten years ago, I don't think, and, and we wouldn't have known that there was a market for it ten years ago. Um, but today, with uh, with the new food movement, it seems that <clears throat> we're sort of organically growing. We, we've gotten press with uh, with Heritage. We've gotten press with the, the New York Post, our local paper. We have a, the Village Voice is doing an article on us now. It's it's a it's a really good time to be a farmer if. <laughs> if you're willing to put up with all the rest of the work, it's a good time to be a part.
1: <laughs> Definitely. I, I agree completely. I mean, it, it's so awesome and interesting to learn about these breeds. I mean, you mentioned a, a little way, way back a few minutes ago about importing semen from, from, from where?
2: Great Britain. There's uh, the four. <clears throat> the White Park is a great story that, where they originated. They, it's the oldest observed breed in existence, I mean, meaning that the Romans saw them back in the, you know, before the time of Christ, they, the Romans recorded, I guess it was in the 4th century, that they had seen the, the Druids uh, sacrificing them in, what was it, like 42 B.C.
1: Hmm.
2: Anyway. Um,
1: You're looking at Sophie like she's the history major over there. Well, she knows all about
2: it, and I tell this story quite a bit because it, you know, it really is fascinating, and, and I think that instead of raising animals and just trying to promote them as uh, you know, as grass fed beef or, or certified humane, I think that, you know, the breed itself is very important. And, and these these animals, up until the 1930s, you had to be royalty to eat them. Mm. Um, and so when I say we had to go back to Britain, that's because it's where the largest herds are. There's about 1,200 animals there. And they, um, they can get bulls that we don't We don't have. We can get, you know, lines that, we, that aren't, don't exist in the States.
1: So. Right. So they're kind of still the, the, the number one source. So I'm assuming there's more than four or 500 registered uh, uh, white, ancient white parks um, on the other side of the pond. I think
2: there's about 1,200 total in Britain. S- yeah. So
1: in the whole world, there really may be still under 2,000 registered? Under 2,000. That's right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we'd have to look up on the American Livestock Breeds Conservancy where they would fall in the category of the world in terms of... Uh, Endangered, critically, or rare? They're
2: critically rare right now. I think there's actually seven breeds that are that are critically rare, but uh, I believe that next year we're actually going to go off the critically rare, rare list, which I think is... Is that ca-
1: due to your health?
2: Yeah, it's cause for a party because uh, because of my farm, and there's a farm in uh, northern Virginia, um, Sandy Lerner's Farm, Ayrshire, and, uh, of course, the oh. Bee Bar Ranch and Seed Savers Exchange, between the f- four of us, We've, uh, you know, we've doubled the size of the herd in the last four years.
1: That is amazing. Yeah. And now, um, do you all work together to kind of share information and things of that sort? You're kind of like not necessarily competitors um, for uh, your market.
2: The but. market's so big, and there's so few of us, there's not any competition.
1: That's great.
2: Yeah, it's, uh we, we work together to try to get everybody the best bull for their herd. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it involves a lot of driving around, it involves, you know, taking a trailer from Virginia to Montana. Or wow. from Virginia to Iowa, which, and then you have to turn right back around and, you know, 10 animals on your trailer, that's, that's, you know, it's something to do. I, I like to bring my son along for that. He's, you know, he's a good talker. He can keep me entertained.
1: Yeah, how old is your son?
2: Eight and seven. Um, and he's, I think he's very much in line to be the next uh, take over the farm. He seems to enjoy it. Um,
1: awesome. He
2: spent. I don't. He doesn't really want to go back to school this year. I think he wants to spend most of his time either catching toads or water, <laughs> watering pigs. or What trying.
1: eight-year-old wants to go back to school <laughs> after the summer? <laughs> Come absolutely, on. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what do you think? I mean, are you going to start training him now, or are you going to send him back to school for a bit?
2: Oh, he's going back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we had. You know, Sophie was eight years old, and she was driving the tractor, helping me pick up uh, little calves that were lost. And well,
1: Aiden, if he just gets
2: a few more inches taller, he'll be able to reach the the petals, too.
1: (laughs) So he's got a little bit of time to grow before we can uh, pull him out and get him on the farm full time. Yeah, absolutely. But that's great news because the one thing that's always a reoccurring theme here is the importance of young farmers and the next generation and who's going to keep these breeds alive i mean many of the farmers that i know i work with and i've um interviewed here um are raising you know heritage breeds of hogs but these guys are in the midwest and you know they're 70 years old yeah they've got families but they've got families that aren't necessarily ready to um take over the family farm so it's uh nice to see a young farmer like you alec that's raising a really rare breed that already has an interest for the next generation yeah and that gives great hope for the future
2: we uh there's nobody around me. all my friends who are farmers close by we don't have too many heritage people um, close by but except for the chickens everybody has heritage chickens as you say as it seems mm-hmm. but um, they're all over 65 and they and none of them have somebody to take it over you know their kids for whatever reason if there's you know the economys crappy in the area and they, they feel like they need to move off to get you know get a real job.
1: Whatever that means whatever, these yeah,
2: days. Yeah, and I, yeah. Whatever <laughs> a that is. Real job. A job that pays them enough to they, where they can make a mortgage or a rent. And you know, farming is not that. If if it weren't for my wife and her work, mm-hmm. you know, we started out with uh, <clears throat> no land, no house. Um, there was no way that we could make turn a farm into making making the mor- mortgage payments within three years of purchase. So she's been working, you know, off the farm. I work on the farm. Full mm-hmm. stop. Um.
1: So you've been on your land, or you've been on the land that you have for three years now.
2: It was six total. But I was my plan was to have it paying the mortgage after four, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and, and it, we're now we're now five years into farming, and uh, I think I'm just starting to see the light with the, nice. as far as the profits go. It's just just coming in for us. Which I don't really know if you were a young farmer and you really wanted to go out and farm and do you know livestock or what. I'm not really sure how you would do that these days, unless you had some other form of income. Yeah. There are some there's definitely some barriers to it. Though.
1: I would hope that there's some way that like the banks could be lenient in terms of giving loans to people who wanna like, you know, help uh keep these breeds alive and do something for, you know, American agriculture. I don't know if those things exist right now Is Not really.
2: You? No, the farmers uh the FSA, the Farm uh, Service Administration says they have young farmer loans, but uh, you still have to have some pretty impressive credentials in order to qualify for those loans. Um who knows the next farm bill is not coming up for another four years and Mm -hmm. and so far I haven't seen anything that gives me much hope that there will be money available
1: yeah and I would assume even the grants and things of that nature must be uh, really time consuming and mm-hmm. things and you know competitive i mean there are probably a lot of people trying to apply for the same one grant just to get a farm or something going
2: oh yeah and if you're working an 18 hour day
1: when are you gonna, write when are you
2: gonna sit down and write a grant I, I mean i have a hard time keeping my checkbook balance
1: you know
2: i just kind of hope everything's work works out some months because you know i don't especially in the summertime i don't i don't get to be inside if i want to see my kids i have you know they have to come out and find me and sort of keep Help walking you. and talking that's, yeah <laughs> it's absolutely true
1: yeah i i hear that yeah. now um what um you know you, you said you are greatly expanding you know, the production and where you've started with the white ancient um mm-hmm. what do you um see you know as your plan for the future with the ancient white um cattle and also with the black hog which is another rare breed
2: yeah the large blacks that uh, i think that may be the the most profitable and that's probably the future of the farm we want to get the live the white parks up to 40 breeding animals in each herd Mm -hmm. and have like you know a total of you know 80 calves a year
1: okay and Um, that would be 80 calves and that would mean you could bring 80 um cows to market
2: approximately 40 cows you expect half of those would be female but you know a few of those females wouldn't be up for breeding so yeah 40 45 um animals a year and the pigs of course we could do 70 to 100 um, then they stay on pasture. They do really well. But as far as I want to keep the, the size of the herds at 40 because that's about all I can personally handle. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's hard to find reliable help.
1: Right. Um,
2: you can, if you offer internships and people can come and stay, then that's pretty popular. But to find good paid help is, uh, is a real
1: Have you um, issue this got year. an interest or is there any way someone could contact you if they're interested in staying on a farm? Yeah. Far we had, your farm? We
2: had an intern last year um, who was down from Warren Wilson College. She did a good job. Um, and she, you know she. We gave her a room and board. <clears throat> she ate with the families most. Ate with the family most nights.
1: She help cook.
2: Oh no, I'm the cook. No, really? The, yeah,
1: yeah. You're the the market. Well, aside a, from your wife, yeah. you help cook. You help with the farm. When do you sleep?
2: I don't sleep all that much these days. Well,
1: let's give someone a website or an email address. Maybe there's, I can only assume that there would be plenty of people willing to come down and help or at least learn and get a feel for the breed or even see this breed. Um, We're going to be adding pictures to our website soon, so I hope to um, be able to put up on heritageradionetwork.com a picture of this um, beautiful breed of cattle so that people can really see what kind of uh, animals we're, we're talking about here because not only do they taste amazing, I've had the opportunity to try this beef. But they're beautiful, majestic-looking anim- animals.
2: Yeah, no, the wide horns, wide rack of horns, and black points on a white on a white coat. They're they're really nice. You could find us at LeapingWater'sFarm.com. There's a contact link, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think at the Heritage Food site, sometime quite soon, we'll have a
1: yeah your Profile, profile, profile up as well. will be up there for sure. Yeah great wonderful so um the future of your farm's success and uh, um is lying hopefully on being able to market hogs the black hog is that because they come to market faster
2: they come to market faster and you get more in a, you know you get 12 pigs approximately every litter twice you know 12 pigs twice a year and you have six cells that's you know 140 some pigs um and you we can sell off the females again and we keep the males and uh you know <clears throat> that amount of meat for that little amount of time you can get them to to you know breeding size it takes two years but for eating size you can get them ready in about 10 months
1: perfect and you don't have to keep that many back for breeding
0: right, right. away
2: no we don't have to keep any back for breeding for the first like six or eight years because you know we just stick to the same number of sows and you know they get fat and lay in the grass and <laughs> quite happy and, and
1: just get ready to keep the next generation coming right, up <laughs> that's right that's yeah. right Awesome. And then how many? Um, so you have the sows and then the boars, right? Yep. And then you need how many boars for how many sows? And
2: we have, well, we just uh, split them in two different groups. Well, we have one boar for three, although I think they can serve us closer to ten.
1: Wow. So yeah. you're, um, your cattle are a little more lucky, I guess, than the, the, the pigs.
2: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. They don't get quite, quite as much heroin.
1: Nice. Um, now let's talk maybe briefly, um, we're here at Roberta's, I just dropped about five pounds of ground beef in the kitchen, which I know the chef is really excited to talk to you about um, nice. once we're done with the interview here today. Um, let's talk a little bit about the taste profile of this ancient white park beef and why um, and how we can attribute it to the, the practice on your farm.
2: Um, well, primarily, if you get a store bought steak, the, the taste or lack thereof is in the fat. Um, mm-hmm. That's where, you know, that's why people eat the Kobe beef. and
1: Because of the intramuscular and the yeah, way that the, the fat... Yeah, the
2: marbling and how the fat the, the fat assumes more of the, the flavor of whatever the animal's been fed. So if it's a grain-fed animal, you can taste the the white fats very, you know, succulent and juicy. And with the, with the heritage breeds and the grass-fed animals, the white parks are peculiar and fantastic in the sense that they can marble off of, um, you know, they get lots of fat deposits off of grass. We don't have to supplement anything, anything unnatural into their room in, in order to get them to to market size. And so, um, so what you taste more of in the in the white parks is that the actual meat, the you know, the red meat. It's a beefier, meatier flavor. It's something like your grandparents might have eaten before the days of industrial ag. And um, <clears throat> you can taste the, well, they eat wild onions, they eat wild garlic, you know, they eat Timothy and clover. And, um, and
1: that's just because this is what's popping up on your land.
2: This is what we plan to have pop up on. Wow. Our land. Yeah, yeah. We make sure that there's you know a, a nice variety.
1: Wonderful. So they're not finished on anything.
2: <clears throat> no, no. We just put them. You know, we we finish them. We basically butcher them according to their look.
1: Mm-hmm. So when they look like they're
2: when they look like they're ready. We don't have any like set date that we says this says this cow has to be ready or this steer has to be ready for the abattoir at you know eighteen twenty twenty four months. Um, generally we wait until they look, till I can look at their condition and say, okay, they're over a thousand pounds
1: mm-hmm.
2: and, um, you know, and they're, you know, vibrant and whatever. And then and we put them on the trailer.
1: But there are laws that would say you have to have them, you know, for mad cow purposes before a certain age. Is that something that, is-
2: yeah, there's 30 months in the States. Sorry, but uh, there's 30 months in the States. You have to have an animal. You can't have any bones in an animal after 30 months, but you can still right. eat ground beef from an animal that's, you know, four or five years old.
1: Okay that's just to clear that up yeah because you're yeah. like just there you know he's getting to be that's, really old but he doesn't look like he's ready to go yet <laughs> right of course there's no
2: possibility of an animal that's just eating grass of ever you know getting mad cow bSE it's 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 not it's not possible that only comes when their feed is when they're eating back cow parts in their feed
1: um, right and
2: you know that definitely does happen but uh,
1: not on your farm not on my farm though. No. Good. Well, that's what we like to hear. Yeah. Hence, uh, everything that you've put into the ground to make sure that you know what uh, your animals are eating, just like your children.
2: That's exactly right.
1: Wonderful. Well, yeah. I guess these animals are your children in a sense.
2: Yeah, indeed. I spend a lot of time. I have a lot of a lot of wives to take care of.
1: Yeah, for yeah. sure. Definitely. Yeah. So about how many animals would you say you have on the farm right now, including your chickens, everything? Oh, well cows? over
2: 300. Um, yeah, 80 cows.
1: And you have two pieces of land, right?
2: Yeah, we have two separate farms, which works out well. We can we can do rotational grazing grazing on both farms, and if you know they're both on the river bottom, so uh, if one happens to have you know better grass or or a, you know a different mixture, we have plenty of options to to make sure the cows are always getting the best feed possible, and, and they're close <laughs> enough together where I don't have to you know truck truck them for hours and.
1: Right. Oh, because well, I was, was going to ask, how do you move them from like one? I mean, I don't know if you call it a paddock on your lands, if that's the yeah, right term. Yeah, paddocks, right? Yeah. Um, how do you move them from one place to the next?
2: I just walk out there and call them. Um, <laughs> they're pretty. They know me pretty well. I call out there and say "suk cow," and they'll start walking towards me. And wherever I go, they'll they'll tend to stay about ten feet behind.
1: Really? What what was that term? Suk cow. What does that mean? I
2: don't know. My granddad always said it when he was moving cows. He had this old this old farmer that worked for him named Rur. R U R L. He was, yeah, Cali.
1: That
2: was a long time ago. And my grandfather would, uh, he'd always say, sook, sook, sook out when he was moving them. And, and uh, I guess it works. I just picked it up. So
1: Cool. Yeah. So that's like a little family, uh, you know, passed down to the generation. So I didn't realize. So are was your father a farmer as well?
2: No, we skipped that one generation. We've had a farm, we had a farm in my family for six generations in the States. Wow. And um, Then my, my father, my mother grew up on a farm.
1: Okay. Um, in my, so you didn't really skip a generation. No, no.
2: <laughs> but he didn't. My dad didn't farm, and he didn't have a farm to pass down to me. My grandfather had a stroke when he was what seventy-five, and he uh, he sold the farm at that point. So I was actually farmless for ten years, from nineteen to twenty-nine. I didn't have.
1: What did you do in those ten years?
2: Oh, I I lived <laughs> in New York for a little while. I went to Italy and, and worked in a, a vineyard for a little while, and um, you know, generally suffered. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't the life I was hoping for. I met my wife, and she wanted a farm, and we figured we could do it together. So
1: awesome! So then you kind of had to start from scratch.
2: Yeah, we started from scratch. It we took a, a whole year just to clean up the place, um, get all the old trucks and cars and whatever, and off the farm, fence it, put water on it, uh, you know, make it ready for animals. And then then the next year we we started. We bought our first herd and our first horse. And then yep. did
1: you start having kids?
2: Yeah, and kids came along. <laughs> uh, two kids were already in the in the package and two more since then so
1: wonderful yeah, we have a
2: we have a flock
1: <laughs> and a herd mm-hmm. and uh what else do we got going I was, on
2: i think it's a sounder of boars a sounder,
1: that, a sounder that would be the word
2: yeah i think that's
1: wonderful right. yeah every week i try and uh, get a, a new um a new vocabulary in the farm dictionary out to my listeners you right. know because i'm still learning the difference between a new and uh and a lamb and a sheep and heifer and the <laughs> yeah
2: and the barrel yep
1: exactly yep. Well, this has been a pleasure having you on today. Was there anything that we didn't bring up that you might want li- um, our listeners in on that uh, you've got going on?
2: Just if you can go out and find a farm locally that you can uh, that, you know, you can support by your by your patronage, then you should probably do, you should definitely do that. There's the only way that these farmers are are going to make it is if people show some interest in it. And it's really hard for a farmer to get out even if they go to the farmers market to get out and drum up you know enough customers to keep their farm viable Mm -hmm. so that's all so
1: just keeping those relationships alive getting out there visiting your farmers keeping the interest trying something new you know um don't be uh disalarmed by the taste of grass-fed meat just because uh you have never been um you know able to eat it before from your local grocery store
2: (laughs) or if you have bought it before and you didn't like it then go find somebody who's doing a rare breed an animal that's used that is Who's always been raised on grass, you know black Angus these days are very hard to finish properly unless you have some the right genetics um, so yeah
1: so just come keep, out yeah definitely give it a try and uh thanks again to alec and to sophie for coming in today thank you Hearst ranch for sponsoring this uh edition of the farm report and um next time you're up in new york we'll look forward to having you on again and to see how it's going with the black hogs and uh the continuing expansion of uh, leaping waters farm so um everybody enjoy the weekend and uh we'll see you next time thanks heather thank you, thank you. bye